Fantastic. Thanks, Harm. You've confirmed. Hi. Confirmed sound. Nice. This is going to be um, all PowerPoint, guys. So um, I'm kicking the video off and just letting people uh, drop in on where it's going to be pinging away. I don't know if I can turn that sound off, actually. Um, because we've got around 300 people booked on. So what we don't want is 300 people pinging in. Um, however, let's have a look. Raul, great to have you along from India. Awesome as always. Um, we've got about five minutes yet, guys. So grab yourselves a drink. Uh, maybe you're having your lunch break. Feel free um, to have your lunch. Um, just Rachel, can I just ask a question, please? Of course you can. Hello, it's... Um, <clears throat> Unfortunately, I can't stay for the full duration. Is yeah, this don't getting worry. Recorded? We'll record it? Yeah, don't worry. We'll oh, record it. That's amazing. What I'll that's do is I'll switch off my um, yeah. video so that I don't disturb everybody. It's just I've got a, a lorry driving um, run to do for the farm, so unexpected, which is unfortunate, but yeah. can't help it. No problem. Thank you for that. Um, right, just um, da, 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 gallery view. Yeah, right. to put. A few people in here. Yeah, there are a few. 300, you. So can you all mute, guys, please? That would be amazing, if you don't mind. Um, I don't know why I didn't mute in the beginning. I thought I had set it to that. Um, I'm going to share my screen shortly whilst everyone's binging in. Amazing. Um, and with a sunny day outside, so I'm hoping it will just, we can stick to the hour um, just to keep it valuable, punchy if I can, uh, you know, so we're not sort of sat on our screens throughout this glorious day. I guess it depends on where you are in the world. Uh, it's glorious where I am. So uh, I don't think I can switch that bell off, can I? Well, as people log in. Guys, can you put yourselves on to mute? That would be fantastic. And some have come through with a bit of sound. So if you can mute, guys, that would be great. Thank you so much. Really appreciate that. So it's fascinating that uh, we've, got, we've got three minutes, by the way. How many people are here? So um, when I originally put the PowerPoint together, um, I've actually changed it since I got like 300 people <laughs> booking the, the lecture. I thought, wow, this is seriously hot topic. Um, so I'm intrigued, uh, as always, by um, the people who come along and want to listen to this kind of stuff for, you know, an hour spending valuable time listening to a lecture. Um, so I'm always intrigued. So you can type into the chat box, but I won't be going there until the end of the session. I want to go through the lecture, sort of, you know, get through it so that we've got time at the end to potentially go through some questions. Thanks, Raul. Um, and I'm aware uh, there may be some as we go. So maybe if you save the, the questions until the end and I will give some time, I'll allow a bit of time at the end. So we've just got a couple of minutes before we start. Let some more drop in. 
some familiar names out there and some names I'm not familiar with. So welcome to anybody. This is your first session with me. Yes, I'm hoping to have this. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm hoping to have this available afterwards. I'm not sure where, uh, what platform uh, or in what form, but um, yeah, I think there's quite a few who are on an endeavour to work as and when they can. And right now might be an opportunity. So I don't want to I don't want it to mean that people can't access it if they're, you know, serving clients right now because that is so valuable to us all under the current climate. We're going to go for about another minute, just let some more drop in. It sounds like I think we're going to have the bell ringing each time someone drops in. Uh, so my apologies for that. I haven't worked out how to switch it off. Uh, but there you go. That's technology for you. So just check that we are recording for those who want to watch it back. Amazing. And then I'm going to go across to screen share and full view. So just bear with me. Can I lose that? Uh, just bear with me, guys. Uh, just bear with me one second. Technology is always. Um. Guys, can you turn yourselves all on to mute? Can you turn your sound off, guys? I think we've still got a couple of people still coming through uh, with a bit of sound. So if you can turn that off, that would be really helpful. Thank you so much. And then, all right. Share, okay, full screen. And we're in. Okay, so um, welcome guys to this uh, lecture. I actually changed the title as I explained because while uh, it was quite a long title, Five Reasons Why Strength Work Isn't Working, uh, most people came through talking about weak glutes as the title. So um, I kind of converted it across to suit. Um, however, we're going to dive into sort of definitions, meanings, anatomy, etc. as we go. But Ultimately, over the next 60 minutes or so, um, I want to create as much value as possible. I want to potentially expose you to new ways of thinking or maybe more objective ways of thinking. I'm going to, with your permission, give you some options towards the end, um, as well as throughout, uh, but even further options, because I have only got 60 minutes, which is what I'm aware of. So I'm going to try and create as much value as I can However, I'm going to give you some pointers at the end about where you can learn more. Um, so what I'm aware of is usually my audience are movement professionals and from a sort of a therapy background. Um, so those are the kind of people I'm going to be talking to, personal trainers, Pilates teachers, yoga teachers, manual therapists. I'm aware we've got some physiotherapists here, um, podiatrists which is really exciting for me as, a, um, as an educator is to really bring together um, a really diverse group of professionals and practitioners who can 
work collectively to improve the movement of the nation, particularly right now. Um, so what I'd like you to all do is really keep an open mind as we go through this PowerPoint, because everything may not be what it first seems. Um, so what I really want to encourage here is, yes, I can give you some tools, but I think what holds more value is a way of thinking about how do, do we help our clients more. So um, as a trainer, as an educator, um, my sort of three decades or so uh, specializing in movement from professional dance through to training people in a gym, group X, a bit of manual therapy, I've really forged um, a special interest in biomechanics and the simplification of it. So one of the emphasis is emphasis uh, emphasize I'd like to put on this session I make up my words if you haven't done any of my sessions before I come up with my own vocabulary sometimes what I would like to emphasize during this session is this kind of paradox of um, the really simple form of looking at someone move the complexity it can bring with it but then coming back to a simple way of look how do I help that person standing in front of me so um, there are common questions I get. The most common thing people to come to me with is, I want a deeper level of understanding the body. I want a better level of anatomy and physiology knowledge. And really that's where I want to take this session today. Obviously uh, the focus of today is the hot topic apparently of weak glutes. Um, but what I'd like to do is, guys, can you, do you mind turning yourselves on to you? Here's somebody in the background just check your system and that, that you're on a mute there thank you so much um, so really what this is about is um, to encourage you to challenge everything and what I mean by that is um, loose language um, short punchy marketing um, catchy articles uh, social media posts and really delve into what is this information really actually telling me. Um, and so that's kind of the direction I want to take this in is uh, weak glutes, question mark. Well, let's challenge those two words. Let's challenge the whole statement of weak glutes. That's, that's what this session is going to be about. So we're going to go through, through this uh, 60 minutes or so, um, understand the anatomy of the glutes. So we'll go into, um, you know, understanding them as in terms of the muscles, where they are in the body, what they might, what they do. Five common dysfunctions that influence the glutes or their function. Um, how to test glute function. And also thinking about alternative interventions. So, you know, usually when we're trained as exercise or movement professionals, if it's weak, we strengthen it. And that is a logical start point or argument. But we're going to challenge that concept and look at alternatives, which may give you um, insight into new techniques you can work, learn with your clients after today and go and use them straight away. I'd also like to, and again, I would like to ask your permission to talk to you at the end of the session about more tests, more interventions. You, you obviously know where I come from with my education program. So many of you ask about those and how they can potentially help. And so I can go through that at the end with your permission, just, just a couple of minutes to talk about 
um, further tests, further interventions to add into what I'm going to talk about today in this hour. So just remembering we only have an hour. So, <laughs> so please um, allow me that couple of minutes at the end. I can give you some insight um, into further tests and interventions. So to understand biomechanics, which is the area in the background that I come from, we divide it into two trains of thought. Extrinsic biomechanics is what you see your client performing when you ask them to move or they walk into your clinic um, or they squat in your studio. Um, that, that's what we're looking at from the outside. That is the performance of a movement. And we might analyze that and think, mm, there's a bit of rotation there. There's a bit of knee valgus. doesn't quite look right. They look stiff. And that is a valuable part of understanding their biomechanical performance. It's what we see them doing. The other definition would be the intrinsic biomechanics. And that's how they're stacked up on the inside. That's their three subsystems, the muscles, the fascia, the skeleton, the bones, the joints, the levers, and then the neural components of how they're underneath the skin of what we see, if you like, how they're stacked up together, how they interact and then therefore produce what we see in their extrinsic biomechanics. And this is, I guess, the, 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 the area of biomechanics that really poses all of the questions because we cannot see it. We cannot see the muscles, the bones and the nerves. We can only hypothesize using a deeper level of understanding of them, the anatomy of them and the way they function and then how they may be influencing what we see our clients do when they come into our studio or our clinics. So I think we need to really appreciate the difference between what we see on the outside, which is technique or extrinsic biomechanics, and what might be going on underneath the skin that is a dysfunction or a problem where the subsystems have adapted, possibly to lifestyle um, or, or other things that we'll talk about in a moment, um, and that how they may be impacting rather than the technique. So I'm quite confident that some of you will have had, or all of you if not, have had clients who you've asked them to do a certain movement. Um, they've done it in what you deem extrinsically to be not quite aesthetically how you'd like them to do it. You feel worried that they may be at risk. So you try and verbally or visually coach them into a better position. And there's sometimes where that works and there's sometimes where it just doesn't. And, and we scratch our heads. We think, is that myself? Is that the way I'm teaching it? Why aren't they able to keep their knees in line with their toes or their back up straight? What's going on? And that's really part, more likely to be what's going on inside. So it's this kind of juggling act as a practitioner. How do I know what's technique and what's going on on the inside? What what techniques can I add into my programming to be able to identify if it's an extrinsic biomechanical issue, purely technique, or an intrinsic biomechanical issue? So clearly having a better understanding of the anatomy of the muscles, the nerves, and the joints is going to really help with that. So I'm going to ask all of you out there who are willing and able to just stand up for a moment. Um, and so that what we can do is literally take advantage of a moment to stand from the screen that we're gonna be sitting in front of for the next hour. And I'd just like you to just stand for a moment. And as you stand in just a comfortable upright posture, I just want you to roll your right foot in. 
And as you roll your right foot in, I would like you to observe and feel what happens to your knee. Um, and maybe if you do it more excessively, what, what you feel happening at your hip. And then if you do it again more excessively and you start to feel, you might feel something going up into the spine. And then relax. And then what I'd like you to do is just drop one hip and see what happens to the knee or what happens to the foot. Back up to standing. And I'd just like you to maybe reach one arm overhead and notice how the tissues down the side of that body may feel lengthened and that might alter the position of your spine if you reach even higher reach up reach up reach up and your scapula starts to lift away and that starts to separate um, upper body and lower body so all i'm doing here is trying to give you very simple examples of how the body works as an integrated system and this is going to be the emphasis throughout this session even when i talk about isolation anatomy isolation exercise testing or techniques we should always keep in mind the body is an integrated system and ultimately I think when we feel like we're not sure something's not right I don't know what the solution is if we can stand back and look there look at the entire system every joint every structure every system we can often find that we see ah okay it's coming from somewhere else so a really good technique when you're working with somebody and you're scratching your head at a certain point about maybe a, uh, something like a weak glute, uh, and we'll go into that in a little bit more, obviously. Is it the weak glute? Is it something else? Could it be coming from a different part of the body or a different substructure or something else? So just try and keep that in the back of your mind at all times. Now, I'm saying all of this with the understanding that the program that we teach at, at Birmingham's Education is all about testing in isolation as best as we can each joint uh, system and structure within the body but every time we teach an isolated test we always remind the learners about you've got to take into account the whole body even as you do an isolation test you need to look at everything always look at the bigger picture so there is a tendency um, particularly in uh, clinical practice to uh, if any of you have ever been to a therapist or maybe you are a therapist and you've been trained in when somebody hurts in a certain area there's a test and a, and a way of addressing that particular area of the body and that makes absolute sense if there's trauma if there's an accident and there's a break or something else going on if it's something that's insidious or it's crept up over time there is a risk or a chance that it's coming from another part of the body, it's overuse uh, or underuse uh, or, or an injury in another part of the body that's now translated somewhere else. So even as we work with clinicians, I think it's keeping that open mind to, um, okay, this area of the body hurts or is a problem, but let's look at everything. Can we test other parts of the body and see how they're contributing to movement or this particular area feeling a little bit more sticky, problematic, painful, uh, and so on. So I hope, I hope that makes sense. I think something else we need to keep in the front and forth, for, uh, forethought of our mind is evolution of the last 
several decades. And for us as exercise or movement professionals, we're seeming to call ourselves now, um, is how did exercise evolve? So the, the practice of exercising. So um, exercise and movement are not the same thing. So exercise in its history, um, way back in the day, bodybuilding um, or, or um, remedial gymnastics in the rehabilitation world, this global muscle performance or understanding of squatting, pushing, pulling for everyday life. But then we started to recognize, well, we need to be stable before we do these gross movements. And so core stability became very on vogue, still is. Pilates, Joseph Pilates' work kind of evolved into a variety of models of training the trunk or the body to stabilize you to be able to perform those gross movements um, during our life. Now, there has been a problem in the evolution of both our physicality and the way we exercise our clients. And what we need to do is regress back even further and understand the limitations of our lifestyles and then also how to improve and expand our exercise prescription to really prepare our clients' bodies for the core stability work, for that gross movement. So what I'm talking about here is that intrinsic biomechanics. Does the pelvis function optimally? Is the spine optimal? Is there any nerve tension, muscle spasm? Is there any joint stiffness? How do we know this? How do we test this when it's under the skin? Because if there's anything going on intrinsically, then that core stability work may not be effective and that may impact on their global muscle performance. So what we're seeing at the global end, that top end, that may appear to be weak glutes, we could work backwards here looking at this pyramid and think, well, is there something intrinsic going on? That's kind of the focus of where we're going today is to really expand on that. So as I've just talked about, we are evolving rapidly. Uh, we evolved extremely rapidly, rapidly about four or five months ago when we all received some shocking information uh, and went into lockdown. So you can see how evolution can be a long, drawn-out process. However, it can, with injury or problems or lockdowns, pandemics, it can be a very quick thing where the body starts to adapt. So again, what I'd like you to do, if you're willing and able, is to, again, just step away from the screen for a second. And if you're happy to, and you're injury and pain free, just have a little sit down in what we call the caveman squat. Um, and just see if you can keep your heels on the floor. See if you can rest your bottom onto your calves. Keep your spine upright and imagine building your fire and cooking your saber-toothed tiger or maybe shifting around in that position um, which might be what we classify as the caveman squat and how we used to behave many years ago and you may find that that was very easy some of you may found, found that challenging and if you've ever asked clients to do that you may have recognized there's a there's a broad difference between them as well so it's remembering how the body's probably supposed to move or designed to move and then how it actually moves today under the current climate, under the current technology evolution 
our routine uh, lives, our daily living. We sit at chairs. Most chairs will sit your hips at around about 90 degrees of flexion. Um, what is that doing to our glutes, our hips, and the way they function? So um, I know I'm not really um, saying anything brand new, but just bringing that to the forefront of your minds in terms of when we work with clients who we feel have weak glutes or have been told they have weak glutes, what does that mean? What can I do? So if you've ever asked a client to squat, as per that previous slide, you may have experienced what I've experienced with various clients is you've seen in them completely different positioning. So the same technique, same squat, same request, same everything in that coaching, and yet what, what results is quite a difference. Now, Obviously, there's no load on these guys, so we've removed that as a consideration, which could have been risky in some of these guys. Um, but if we look at um, lengths of bones um, and we consider you know, positioning, we can't actually see them from the front or the back, but some will have had, I think, bottom left. You can see a wider and more turned out foot position. Guy bottom in the middle, uh, you know, narrower uh, but he's more flexed forward. So you can see these variations. Now, there are some things about our clients we cannot change. We cannot change their geometry and their bone lengths. So it's something that um, uh, is given to us. We've grown with certain hip socket depths or joint designs, um, you know, lengths of femur. And so there's some things about what we see our clients do when we're analyzing their movement or in trying to understand their glute function that we can't change. I think we need to appreciate that uh, when we start look at testing. We also can't change their history. So if they have injuries um, or fusions or adaptions, or if they're a certain age group, they could well have normal aging around the joints like sclerosis, which are going to inhibit their movement. So even when we're asking them to do a benchmark test, we need to keep in mind the client in front of us, the consultation, the case history, maybe even ask further questions to identify, are we assuming or expecting too much because their geometry or their history may limit what we're expecting from a benchmark test. If we think about uh, evolution, what we're looking at here, it really is about how they use their body. I love this guy. I mean, I'm not sure I've ever seen anybody other than him do a squat like that one. But, I mean, he's sitting there having his cigarette or, or fag or whatever he's got in his hand there, his lighter on the floor. He looks really happy, and he looks like he probably rests in that position for long periods of time. Or he does it at least on a regular basis. That's his squat. I mean, his bum is pretty much on the floor anyway there, I think. But you can see these differences in different countries, uh, different ways of living. And again, this is the sort of thing we want to keep in the forefront of our mind when we're testing clients to understand their glute function, um, whether they're weak, what that means, and exactly what their movement quality is telling us. So let's have a little look at the anatomy of the glutes. Now, before I go in here, um, what, one thing I want to highlight for all the people watching this is um, if I had a pound for every learner who told me 
that they had some anxiety about their level of anatomy recall when they come along to my training courses. Uh, I would probably have retired some time ago. That's a lie. I, I love what I do. I'd still be doing it, but uh, I'd probably have a lot of money in the bank. So please understand what I'd like to do is while I'm going into the anatomy, um, you know, we can look at it in a very complex sense or we can simplify it. Now, most of us have learned when we first learned at level two or level three or whatever level you began with from a human anatomy book. And the anatomy book is, is obviously 2D. So it's going to limit what we can appreciate about the body. But it's, it's a level we have to go through before we start to deepen our understanding. We should also appreciate that anatomy books and even, you know, with these skeleton models that we learn from are all giving us an example. So the casts that are used to create skeletons that we work with that are a really great more 3D tool are still only one example of a human anatomy. And so we have a limited learning process um, and, and I'm sure I'm speaking to people who can acknowledge that when you qualified, you then started working with the body and started to realize, actually, I don't know very much about the various types of bodies from my training at level three A&P, for example. So we go on and we want to learn more. We work with different body types, different geometries, different movement quality, different tissue strength, load, injury history, and so on. But the basics of glute anatomy really are that there are three of them, glute maximus, medius, and minimus. So the names will tell you kind of like really their size. So glute max is the, is the big one, the maximus, maximus is the uh, big hip extensor. And what you can see when you look at their uh, contribution to movement, it can be quite complex. Uh, so glute max is the big hip extensor, will laterally rotate the hip, the upper fibers do you know, something, the lower fibers do something else, they work with the hamstrings, um, eccentric control, blah, blah, blah. We can get quite complex into that. Glute med, similarly. Prime mover of abduction, uh, you've got the anterior portion, we'll do something, the posterior portion. You know, I mean, glute med, look, it flexes and extends. It medially rotates and laterally rotates. So you can understand why, when you get a deeper level of understanding the anatomy, it can actually cause more confusion because that, the same muscle is doing opposing actions. Well, that doesn't make sense. You told me at level three, everything has a role as an agonist and then it has an antagonist. How can an individual muscle be an antagonist to itself? And that's where really starting to appreciate the complexity of the body can help. However, what I'm going to do hopefully today is pull it right back to a simplistic way of analyzing movement. Um, and again, glute minimus abduction um, with some rotation in there. So let's go from this complex view of glute anatomy to the simple end. The glutes will extend, abduct, and rotate. So let's translate that into, okay, well, what does that mean in terms of movement? Think of walking. Okay, well, the, the hip extends when we walk. That's a propulsion mechanism. Think of abduction. Well, we don't really abduct when we work per se. But if I got you all to stand up again, so again, feel free to join in or not. And I'm, I'm trying to make this 
quite interactive so that you're not just standing at a screen. But if you're like me, I'm actually standing here with you doing this. So if you want to stand up and um, put your right hand onto the side of your right hip and then just take your left foot off the floor and then lift and lower your left hip. And what you will feel are your hip abductors, which is glute minimum med, will be enabling you to lift the left hip up and down. So if you can imagine when you're taking a step, so you could put both hands on either side of your hips now, and as your right foot lifts, your left glute minimum med will tension, contract a little bit, to allow you to shift the weight onto that leg without your right hip dropping, hopefully. <laughs> Does that make sense? So just to kind of simplify uh, their contribution to movement. So hip abduction may not be a movement we think of uh, with our client walking around and moving naturally, but it is a huge part of controlling frontal plane um, um, movement whilst walking in the sagittal plane, for example, just to, again, keep it simply. So we walk forwards sagittally, those frontal plane stabilizers, glute min and med, will control the hips, hopefully, while they're walking so that the hips stay relatively level. They will rotate and lift and lower a little bit, um, but it, we don't want to be seeing that kind of um, hip drop, that dramatic drop or the Trendelenburg or we might see that translate down into the knee or a knee valgus. These are the things we're going to be talking about a little bit more, but I just wanted to kind of do that piece just to set in our minds exactly uh, what I'm talking about when we start to look at testing and understanding movement. So there, there are, I mean, I've listed five, I'm, I've tried to keep this super simple, five common inhibitors of glute function. Um, and so you'll see that I've used the word function there because if we question what causes weakness, I guess what we should do here is understand the definition of weakness. And that's, I guess, where I'd like to take your thinking is away from our original training, which is if it's weak, we need to strengthen it. And I just want to layer in front of that. Um, if you think back to our pyramid, that base level, how well do they function? What, what glute function do we need prior to strengthening? What, what, what is Rachel talking about here? And that's what I'd like to start to look at now. So you may or may not, if you've done some of our training, you will be familiar with the term subclinical muscle spasm. Now, this is not the type of spasm where you feel pain or a sharpness, where you bend over and you feel that kind of like um, uncomfortable sensation. Subclinical means this is pre-diagnostic, pre-clinical. Um, it's not necessarily a problem. It's, it's an adaption that we probably want to address before it does become something more clinical down the line. So this is where prevention methods are quite hard to prove uh, and where the testing is really valuable. So we could do use techniques on that, which I'm going to go through in a moment with you, is give you some ideas on, well, how do we address subclinical muscle spasm? Would we not just strengthen it? Well, possibly not. And I'm going to talk about that in a moment, guys. So um, if you can bear with me whilst I run through the others um, in an overview. 
So that's the muscle side of things. If we look at neural tension, um, and we sort of acknowledged earlier that the body works as an integrated system, the nerves supply the muscles, uh, they interact with each other within the chain. Um, an example in the hips are piriformis and sciatic nerve have a close relationship. Piriformis sits underneath the glutes and they, they work together holistically. So if you have some neural tension or tethering, this could um, impede on muscle function. So this is not, again, this is not clinical. This is not nerve impingement. This is not clinical. It's purely a biomechanical loading or an adaption to the tissues where the nerves are a little bit tight. There may or may not be a certain sensation or some inhibition. And that's really, again, where we may not want to begin with glute strengthening. We may want to address the nerve tension first. If we take the third subsystem, the joints, then obviously we talked a little bit about aging and sclerosis in the hips um, and understanding mobility around the hips, uh, which is usually a more comfortable area for the exercise professionals to understand, um, observe and talk about. Um, but I, I, it still obviously needs mentioning. Inhibition from another part of the body. This one, this is a big one. So I'm, I'm going to go into that in a moment when we look at testing. Uh, and again, with your permission, I can talk to you about how you could learn further tests for other parts of the body. Uh, we're going to talk about how they may well influence glute function in a moment. Um, so that's quite a big one. But I think a fundamental one to appreciate is the antagonist. So we learn very early on in our anatomy uh, training and exercise training that all muscles work in pairs. An agonist has an antagonist. So if we take the glutes um, as an agonist, their antagonists would be the hip flexors and the hip adductors. So how well do the hip flexors function or adductors function? Could they be interfering with that law of reciprocal inhibition and impeding on the function of the glutes? So that really takes our thinking in a whole other direction, but it's important uh, because it's a base layer of understanding of how the body works as a unit. And then the last one here is low tissue tolerance. So this could be deemed our strength training. So we know when we learn about strength training that what we need to do is start with um, easier reps and sets and load, and then build up gradually to allow the tissues to, uh, the time to adapt. And that isn't just the muscles, we need the tendons and the ligaments and the connective tissues to thicken um, in advance of um, the muscles developing their strength. But I'd just like to correct this one and give you a sixth inhibitor of glute function. It kind of links to the fourth one on there. And that is a combination of all of the above. So I think um, you will appreciate that it would be very rare for a client to come along and only have one physical limitation or one dysfunction or one area of the body or one muscle. So it's more common that we have a multitude of things that we see in our clients. So let's understand that um, and maybe not be too hard on ourselves when our glute, our weak glute training program isn't working. Hopefully I'm gonna give you some further ideas here. So let's start with subclinical muscle spasm. 
um, we know from research that it's kind of that initial phase of adaption from either a protection uh, mechanism or an overactive mechanism. Um, and there is a one second to six week period of time where we could use an antispasm to address that. So I'm going to introduce you to an antispasm in a moment. If we don't address it, the muscle starts to adapt further. It becomes more ligamentous or fibrotic. And eventually um, it can just become tight where we reduce stretching possibly. And again, there are challenges to the concept of stretching. I'm not going to go into that. That's a whole other session. Uh, but the idea of lengthening the muscle to address uh, function. So the antispasm is actually the opposite of stretching. It's where we contract the muscle in a certain technique, which I'm going to go through in a moment. Um, and so you can see how if you're starting with stretching to address weakness in glutes or dysfunction, it may be that if the muscle is in the subclinical phase, subclinical uh, spasm phase, uh, we could inter, uh, precursor that stretching with a muscle energy technique or an antispasm, see if that has more improvement. If the stretching isn't working, uh, with another link through. So a muscle energy technique or an antispasm is a great way to improve the function of a muscle using contraction. So that's bringing the origin insertion together. There are many out there. You're probably familiar with um, PNF, PIR, RI. There are various ways of applying an MET. Uh, one of our favorites is the um, 2020 technique that we teach, where you use 20% effort held for 20 seconds isometrically to affect the muscle you want to improve the function of. So if you think about the glutes, uh, let's take them as hip extensors. You would resist hip extension with 20% effort, hold it for 20 seconds, and then repeat four times. So the research suggested we repeat that four times regularly throughout the day initially. And that could be a great intervention to put in in advance of strength training. So release the glutes first, if you like, with a muscle energy technique, stimulate them, improve their function, and then apply some strength training. And there is a good chance you will have better effect by improving the function first in advance of the strength training. So hopefully that makes sense. Um, I know people are commenting. Uh, just to make you aware, I can't see the comments yet. I will go to those at the end. I'm gonna see if I can leave a few minutes at the end to run through any questions. So that's one intervention you could layer in in the, in the beginning. And it's understanding, well, how do we test? I'm going to come to that later. But certainly we can use um, evidence-based objective pelvic function tests like Downing sign, Gillet's, Thomas test, and a variety. Gillet's is great for glutes. Downing sign, Forsyne as well, um, will be evidence-based ways to test pelvic function. If you don't have those, I'm going to give you a basic function test that you can use. Um, so please... Bear with me and we'll get there. Nerve tension. Now there's more and more research coming through to demonstrate that um, if your nerves are tight, then they can inhibit muscle performance. And in um, pilot studies, we found an improved strength output of 50% over 10 days after mobilizing the nervous system. Now that's really something that could be very interesting for those of you listening now. If you're not aware of how to test the nerves, then obviously there are ways you can learn how to test those. I can talk to you about those later on. 
but to understand how to mobilize the nervous system in advance of strengthening the glutes. So again, you can imagine the sciatic nerve sitting underneath the glutes, underneath the piriformis in the glutes. You have any dysfunction of those muscles, it could inhibit the nerve. And if we can mobilize it in advance of strength training, once again, that strength training could then have better effect. So understanding how to mobilize the nerves, we can use techniques like the slump, slump ankle, slump knee, slump head, um, which again, you can learn how to do through, um, again, you can learn it through our school, you can learn it through other schools, but it is a great add-on to your exercise prescription. And then of course, joint stiffness. So joint stiffness, we can look at through range of motion tests, and we can use mobility drills, which I think most of us are familiar with. If we were to look at low tissue tolerance or weakness, I think you all know about glute strength work, I'm sure. Um, there's just some images on there of common things we might consider. Um, but actually, um, where they're not working, if we precursor them with the muscle antispasm, the nerve mobilization, the joint mobilization, prior to doing these, then these techniques may have more chance of having an effect. But what about inhibition from another part of the body? Well, what we need to do really is uh, start with a benchmark. Where do you begin is assessing. If you're not doing assessments, then what you're doing is based on guesswork. So understand if you've been taught how to test for a weak glute, what is the research behind the test? Exactly what is it telling you? How objective is it? Could it be something else? Giving that representation. So make sure that the testing you're using um, really holds value in uh, either from an evidence-based practice or from the logic of the function of the glutes. So to be able to get your benchmark, let's just remind ourselves what they do. So they extend the hip and they abduct the hip. Okay, well, we could be looking at things like a hip drop. So something that can often be seen in runners is a hip drop. But what we need to be aware of is there are some athletes out there, Jet2, I believe, was a silver medal marathon runner in the, I think it was 2012 uh, Olympics. And she's quite famous for her uh, knee valgus um, and sort of the biomechanical analysis of a run is it's really poor. But she's winning silver medals. She's injury free. So, you know, what does that mean? So we need to keep in our mindset that tests give us information, uh, but we shouldn't maybe take it so far towards expecting perfection. So they give us some information, but really question uh, what we're trying to achieve, what's the client trying to achieve, and understanding things like levers. So when they take one foot off the floor, you can see from the slide, there is a lever of the body weight um, causing a force down on that hip joint that the abductor muscles would hopefully oppose. So that's where we would like to try and reduce um, excessive hip drop in most clients. That's really what we're trying to observe and see. So what, are there other things that can cause a hip drop? Well, yes, the lever lengths we've, we've looked at, but are you aware there are uh, physical um, uh, geometries that we classify as femoral versions or coxa vera, coxa valga, as well as all the other muscle weakness definitions we looked at earlier. So just to give you a, a quick brief uh, understanding that, 
some clients may well have a joint design that predisposes them to a hip drop. So um, a coxa vera um, can give a more knock kneed position, they're more likely to present with a hip drop. So if it's genetic, how much should we worry about that? Um, there is still value to the test, but it's really about using it as a benchmark or a start point and then a retest after an invention rather than a kind of a gold standard of where we want all our clients to have perfect knee alignment. That might be pushing things a little bit too far. There are ways to learn how to test Coxavera, Coxavalva norms or, or when they're not the norm um, so that you can adjust your level of expectation. Um, you know, we can show you those kind of testings. Uh, but they take time to learn to understand the anatomy if you're going to be putting your hands on people. We also talked about femoral version. This is more on a rotation basis. So understanding how to test for this is something you could go and learn. Um, but again, there could be a geometry to your client's pelvis that limits their medial or lateral rotation and means that your level of expectation about what you can achieve in their quality of movement may need to adapt. So even when you learn how to test a client's body using these types of tests, really what is it telling us and understanding our level of expectation when we are all completely different. So how, you know, weak glutes, how do you test them? Let's put it into basic sense, all right? With everything we've spoken about, let's keep it, go back to really super simple. You're in the clinic, you're in the gym. You could test pelvic dysfunction. So I've talked about a few earlier on, Cox of Alga, Cox of Vera, uh, down, uh, Downing sign, Gilles, Forsign. Those are models of testing you can learn on further training courses when you learn more about the background behind them and what they're telling you. But let's make it really simple. Does your client have difficulty getting out of a deep squat? Do they have difficulty stepping up onto a step? Really simple, right? Well, yeah, of course. Just ask your client to squat see what they do. Uh, are they struggling? Is it something else? Are they a crossfitter? Are they, um, you know, elderly? And we need to really put all of that together and understand that we're not expecting a certain type of squat. We're just analyzing the squat that they can do. So you literally ask them to squat down as low as they can go and then stand back up. And you might film that. You might uh, film it from the side, from the back. I certainly do. And you take that, that's purely your benchmark. We're not at that point making any particular judgment, but it's a start point for that particular demographic at that time. There might, with some levels uh, that is more advanced, you might decide to go as far as a pistol squat. Now, this would only probably be in the athlete end of your demographics. So maybe not for many of them. Uh, but again, that would give you that unilateral testing of an ability to get in and out of um, a single leg squat, full range squat. And again, what you've got here is the, the ability to do a comparison from one side to the other. I'm aware that that one is going to be limited to only specific clients, but certainly the previous one, um, you can see on the image on the right, uh, you could lose the kettlebell, obviously, but they're not squatting so low. If that's their range, that's part of the assessment. The CrossFit guys, their heels are off the floor. I think they're actually just resting there. But just as an image, you know, we might expect certain demographics to be able to achieve a lower position. But over on the left is probably most of our kind of demographic types. 
is a variety of performance of squats. Test two, uh, and this is a really great sort of benchmarker, is a high step up. Um, so most gyms or facilities have a box or a bench or something that makes sure it's safe and stable. And we could literally just film a client stepping up. So these three videos are showing various things you might see when a client steps up. So the image on the right, uh, there's a drop. The image in the middle, there's a push off that bottom foot to help up. And then the image on the left, there's a little bit of a, oops, little bit of a push, uh, but not so much. So again, the quality of movement you look at before um, a session, after a session, or over the weeks, um, understand, does that change? Does that then indicate that what I'm doing is the right thing to do? So you, uh, in advance of that, you apply your muscle energy techniques, your nerve mobilizations, your antagonist work, the strength work, and then you redo the step up. It can be that simple, guys. Um, and that is certainly a test that I use, even though I have a whole battery of tests that I can use. I think that's a really great indicator. Um, if you need to reduce the size of the step for elderly, again, it's about the individual standing in front of you, more importantly than um, having a certain height box or so on. But let's keep in mind this entire system. So, you know, we can go straight in with glute work and that may work. But the reason you're here, I would predict, is because that doesn't always work. So what we're talking about is the potential reasons as to why that's not always working. So keep in mind all of the things we've talked about, the alternatives. So different types of techniques to precursor your strength training with. I'm not going to tell you how to do the strength training. That's for another day. You've had a couple of images here. That's probably the most, uh, the area you're most skilled at already. Um, in terms of um, understanding how to strengthen a weak glute. I'm guessing the reason you're here is because that doesn't always work. So um, this is where the alternative interventions um, are playing in. So let's consider this holistic human in front of us and the idea of a weak glute. How do you test the glutes for weakness? What does the test you're doing actually tell you what intervention options do you have available have you tried them all and then have you considered there are other things that potentially in other parts of the body could be impacting on the function of your client's glutes so I would suggest and strongly recommend you always benchmark. It doesn't matter what testing you do. It can be as simple as a squat or a step up. It could be as complex as some of the other tests I'm going to talk about to you um, in a moment. And then you would probably want to start with the least contraindicated technique or one of the very subtle ones. And then you can retest. You could literally do that in the same session. You do your squat, you do your step up, you add in a muscle energy technique. You redo the step up, you film it, does it move, do they move better? And you could argue, okay, well, let's do that again. Or you could apply another intervention. You could add on the strength training and then retest. Because if you're not testing, again, it is guesswork. 
So other things that can, inter that, that can interfere with glute function, obviously the pelvis and the spine have a close relationship. They sit underneath and on top of each other. So understanding how to evaluate the function of both pelvis and the spine rather than simply the glutes on their own, I think would be prudent. We already tried earlier on using the foot and the knee to understand how they may interfere with the pelvis function. And there is a direct link between the shoulder and the pelvis biomechanically. If you imagine when you walk, your left foot goes forwards, your right arm will swing forwards. There's that opposition and that rotational force through the chain. Now, something I haven't talked about a huge amount is pain. Pain can clearly influence and affect function. Um, and there can be all sorts of things going on inside clients. We might have MRI scans. We might evaluate their pain after injury. We might want to understand that better um, and understand detailed anatomy of the spine to understand how normal wear and tear and then what an MRI scan can tell us can impact on the way a client moves and functions. Again, that's a, that's a huge subject. Uh, which you can learn more about if you want to. I'm going to talk about that in a second. Um, but um, just something to keep in mind, even in relation to group function. So exactly what, what more is there? Well, just to bring this up, I'm just going to bring this, uh, just a couple of slides to finish with here, because I know a lot of you have been asking already, is how to ev evaluate the whole body. You obviously know we teach... Um, a whole series of workshops. We've now converted some online. Um, you can get those just purely as CPDs or you can work through the whole thing. These will give you an extensive series of tools to assess your, whole, your client's whole body um, and inter, interact with how the glutes are functioning. Uh, there's about 43 in total. In addition to um, the ones we talked about are not included in that 43, by the way, the squat, the step up, the coxavalga, coxavera, femoral antiversion, femoral retroversion. So we can teach those on other workshops that we deliver as well. So if you did want to know more, we run them all over the UK. We are kicking off again. We're pretty busy. Uh, so if you did want to set up a call, you can get in touch. But before you go, I just want to get you to do a little pelvic function test on yourselves. Um, and then you can get in touch with myself or Fiona if you've got any questions at all about anything I've spoken about or learning further tests that you can add in. So if you want to uh, do this, uh, you, if you've done this already, I know I've got a lot of my students in here already, um, sit back on your chair. You should be around about um, 90 degrees at the hip and you can cross one ankle over the other and just evaluate how far your knee drops to the floor. When you do that with the other side, so swap over, there should be a certain degree of symmetry and it should feel comfortable in either side of the hips. If you have or your client has on that test an asymmetry or a difference in the knee height, there is a good chance that the muscles within the pelvis, including the glutes, are not functioning optimally. And so what we need to address is what is interfering with that. I would always recommend starting with the muscle energy techniques. You could do that straight away now and use the technique on the slide, which is called the four sign. Uh, the four sign test is the one you've just done. The four sign technique would be using rotation. Um, and then you could redo the test and see if the knees drop lower or are more symmetrical 
to really understand whether you've improved your client's function and they're ready to do their squats and lunges under load. So that really means that there's probably four or five things out of five or six that don't need to start with strength training, where we should really be considering other things first. Um, so keeping those all in mind, hopefully that helps. I'm just going to come out of the PowerPoint and up to... Doo -doo -doo -doo. Say hi to you guys. Okay, so I'll just come over to the questions. Hi there, guys. Um, I hope that was helpful. Uh, yes, the marriage went well. You'll notice my name changed. Um, Sue, I may have to leave early. Yeah, no problem. Um, okay. Okay, I think somebody helped you there, John, with your speakers. Uh, they, the others could hear me. Oh, okay, great. Um, okay, Nicola. Hi, Nicola. Why can't why can I get into a caveman squat when my bottom is resting on the base, but can't if not is uh, lack of mobility. Hang on. Why can't why can I get into a caveman squat when my bottom is rested on a base, but can't if not? So I think when you, what you mean, Nicola, is when you're resting for fr freely rather than resting on something. Um, that, that, yeah, could be. Um, and again, without fully assessing everything, because if you're balancing on feet and you have unstable feet, that could create uh, lack of stability. Just remember that when your bottom is resting on something uh, underneath it, you've got three bases of support. When it isn't, you've only got two bases of support. So the proprioception and the neuromuscular feedback is increased when your bottom is resting on the floor, uh, sorry, on something rather than on nothing, even though the position is the same. Um, just going down. Okay. Normally do the four stand and slump before I do any strength training. How are you doing, Stevie? No problem, Susan. Okay. Uh, Jennifer. Hi, Rachel. My problem is I had a lower back injury about seven years ago. I'm fairly hypermobile. There isn't any tension in my hips. My glutes just do not activate no matter what exercise I do. My quads do all the work when I squat, but when I get to a certain depth, my quads stop holding my weight and I feel like I'm going to drop to the floor. Do you have any exercises? Right, okay, this is a great question. Thank you for that, Jennifer. Thank you for sharing it. Because what Jennifer is describing um, can still link back to glute dysfunction rather than weakness um, and so my prescription for you Jennifer would be exactly the same improve the function in both your glutes and hamstrings using the hip extension muscle energy technique because that will affect both hip extensor groups glutes hamstrings um, and then complement that afterwards with the sciatic nerve uh, mobilization technique to get the nerve gliding under those muscles. Because if you have tension in either of those substructures, then uh, that will interfere with both that side and the opposite side, which is your quads or the antagonists um, and vice versa. So you've got this whole relationship going on. So I think there's a difference between weakness and dysfunction, Jennifer, which is I think where your question, uh, I would like to respond to that with is, um, 
weakness doesn't mean it needs strengthening. It's weak. Uh, uh, it, it means that something isn't quite firing properly, activating, which is what you allude to, um, I think, in your, yeah, do not activate. So the stimulus of considering the whole system, the nerves, uh, the muscles below and above, the joints above and below, uh, the other structures, um, and really start to layer those in in advance. But also, Jennifer, have patience. If you are, seven years is a long time, seven years usually would should mean there's no pathology now um but it depends on what the injury is you haven't said what that is but seven years ago i'd like to think there's no longer any pathology so it is about proprioception uh function control um and just having patience about layering in that base layer of the pyramid regaining intrinsic function and if you haven't found the solution yet, it doesn't mean there isn't one. It's just you haven't found the solution yet. So this is where often techniques can be deemed magic. Oh, the, this technique's a magic one. No technique is magic. It's just that when it works, it feels like magic because you found the right technique. You found the one that worked. So understand that you, you may just not have found the right technique yet. So if I've talked about anything here, Jennifer, that you haven't tried yet, I strongly recommend Try the tests, do one intervention, redo the test, try that for a couple of days, then add in the next intervention and see if you can start to feel a change. Uh, no problem, Mark. Yeah, apparently so. Great topic. Uh, Liam, IT band syndrome, knee valgus, causing meniscus injury have been a problem for myself. Any techniques I may not have tried yet to overcome this? Everything above, Liam. Everything I've just talked about, um, because um, when something is a syndrome, uh, it just means it's not working properly. It doesn't tell you exactly what the root cause is. Um, so the IT band is blamed for a lot of things. It's just a thick band of fascia. I would definitely be looking above it. But just remember the IT band is designed, it is supposed to have tension. It is a knee stabilizer. So there's a lot of people out there grinding away on foam rollers um, on the IT band and I think that's a big mistake so look at the muscles above um, and obviously I would want to understand your foot function Liam if you've got um, some knee issues going on uh, knee issues usually come from the pelvis and the foot I would want to understand that relationship have a look at those uh, same Louise um, uh, uh, SI joint dysfunction uh, uh, I'm not sure about SI joint dysfunction again doesn't make sense to me it's just where two bones meet so that doesn't make sense unless uh, you wanted to add into that. But the SI joint is just a joint. So when you say dysfunction, dysfunction of what exactly? Uh, but yes, if there was anything going on around that area, uh, there's a good chance it would influence the glutes or the glutes are influencing the SIJ. Uh, Michelle, I'm recovering from oh, good grief. L5S1 disectomy. I am still working on mobility. I have nerve damage. So the neural tension is really interesting. Um, just one year post-op and frustrated with my recovery as expected doing furthermore. Okay. So, uh, Michelle, please, um, only work under, a, be guided by a qualified practitioner. If you can find a clinician who's a biomechanics coach, and if you want to message me, Rachel at biomechanicseducation.com, let me know where you are. I can send you to someone, but certainly when you're a year with nerve damage, I would want to monitor, have you see somebody who can monitor you. 
rather than I wouldn't recommend you just go and try the nerve mobilization love. Um, I would want to understand exactly what's going on from your clinicians at first to understand uh, that better. When I squat, uh, then again, everything we've covered today, sad, um, go back through the lecture, understand spine mobility for sure. Do you apply the same principles to post hip knee replacements clients when signed off return to exercise? Pauline, do you know what? They're probably, uh, they come from rehab, but if we apply them as rehab, I've done this with my parents having knee surgeries, implants, got them doing the pelvic work in advance of surgery so that when they come out, they're more ready. Um, and the roots of the I Move Freely program that I've been talking about, the nerve mobilizations, the muscle energy techniques are from rehab, but it's the application of them that you need to be careful of in understanding your remit and your insurance capacity. So if they've been re uh, referred to you for exercise, it's the safest place to start. Go for it if you feel you're covered. Janet, you're very welcome. No problem. Louise, okay, no problem. Uh, you can email me. You're very welcome, Michelle. Natasha, restricted plantar flexion of my ankle to cause problem in my hip and glutes. Is it possible to improve to help my poor squat technique? So I would need to understand why your plantar flexion is restricted, uh, Natasha. So without that information or without being able to test your pelvis, knees, hips, and understand what is causing that restriction, is it um, osseous, is it soft tissue, is it injury? I would need to understand that first. But yes, it could result in an ascending problem up into the hips um, and vice versa if there's anything going on. I'm aware that we're now three minutes over so I'm going to start to bring this to a close. Guys, it's been an absolute joy. Thank you, Roz. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Joe, Louise, everybody. Um, I will be seeking to make this available somewhere. You need to get hold of me. As I said earlier, Rachel at biomechanicseducation.com. I know there's a lot of you that are private messaging, asking about the biomechanics coach diploma. A lot of the dates are fully booked. I've put more on. One of them is full and awfully up, which is happy problems. Uh, I'm just aware of spacing and trying to stay within the guidelines. So um, please get in touch, Rachel at biomechanicseducation.com. If you want to set up a call, talk through how it's working now, or go to biomechanicseducation.com. We've got a whole plethora of additional tests that you can learn purely online. You can do that right now. You can go and buy them as CPDs. Go to the workshop drop down, click on the first link, and you will see pelvis and spine CPD online. I think it's 357 shoulder, knee and foot tests. So you could learn how to do tests online that you can do with clients online, or you can do with a client in person without putting your hands on them. So I've designed those specifically during lockdown. If they're helpful, you're not obliged to do any more. You can just go and enjoy those, but let me know how you get on. I will do soon. Martin, you're welcome. Nice to see you again. Rob, you're very welcome. Paula, you're welcome. Luke, cheers. Uh, we, we should speak soon. Uh, Harm Honey, always welcome. Wendy, great to see you. We should chat, Wendy. Take care, guys. Thanks for coming. Move well, move more. Enjoy the sunshine. Take care.